1: The following episode was recorded in the afternoon of September 11th, soon after Louisiana completed its early September teal survey, and also relatively soon after Hurricane Laura made landfall in southwestern Louisiana. In fact, both of these topics were the focus of discussion on this episode. As sometimes happens, we were unable to release this episode as quickly as we had hoped. In the meantime, Hurricane Sally emerged and made landfall on the northern Gulf of Mexico with significant effects on coastal portions of Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. Because of the timing of when we recorded this episode with Larry and when Hurricane Sally emerged and made landfall, there is no mention of Hurricane Sally in this episode. We nevertheless are aware of its significant impacts and we send along our thoughts, prayers, and well wishes for everyone affected by it. And we hope for a speedy recovery. We're also aware at the time of the the release of this episode, there is yet another storm in the Gulf of Mexico for which many residents are preparing. And we similarly send along our thoughts and prayers to each of you that may be in its path. The information in the episode you're about to hear, we believe nevertheless remains relevant and we think it would be of interest to many of our listeners. We therefore bringing it to you today. We thank you for listening to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, and we hope you enjoy today's episode.
0: Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you the DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier.
1: On recent episodes, we have had conversations that took us to the northern end of the flyway as we're here in early September. The the waterfowl seasons are underway in Canada. Teal migration is well underway. So we've had some conversations with folks in South Dakota, uh, in Manitoba, and we're going to have some conversations with folks in Saskatchewan a bit later on. Today, our conversation takes us to the other end of the flyway, all the way down to Louisiana a very popular place to many of us that listen to this podcast and we're going to be speaking with our good friend frequent guest on the show on the podcast Larry Reynolds waterfowl study leader for Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries to talk about a couple of things one, one is which the res- would be will be the results of their recent September teal survey but we're also going to talk about um, something else that was that that happened here recently Uh, specifically the uh, impacts from Hurricane Laura. We're going to talk about that, but uh, let me welcome in Larry to the podcast. Larry, thanks for joining us here to have this conversation. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much for the invite. We're here in early September. A lot of stuff going on. This is normally the time of, of year when waterfowl hunters in coastal Louisiana are super excited about this first opportunity. To get out in the marsh they've looked forward to this uh, all year long since the close of the waterfowl hunting season in in january anticipating this early this early teal season which oftentimes is really good really productive in louisiana and some of the other gulf states this year is different uh, and you know it's we've we've had instances like this in the past when you we live on the gulf coast we know that tropical storms are, uh, you know, are, are a fact of life. You've lived there a long time. I lived there for 14 years. And we, uh, while we were there, I went through several of these. Uh, that, But, you know, we had Hurricane Laura hit a couple of weeks ago, and that's where we want to start this conversation. We're going to get to the duck numbers here a bit later on, but we have to put things in perspective and realize that, the, the impacts from Hurricane Laura were, were extensive. Uh, I know you were up in the air flying these surveys this past week, and we want to talk about that a little bit from the perspective of of what you saw. But we know that there, um, that people in southwestern Louisiana continue to to be affected by this. They're going to be affected by this for a long for for a long time to come. But Larry, you having seen. What has actually unfolded there um, with the landfall of Hurricane Laura? Just talk about what you saw.
2: I, I don't really know the the right word, Mike, but but when you see the extent of damage of this of this kind, you're awestruck for you know for a short period of time. The damage to structures, homes, camps, um, infrastructure that we depend on every day. Um, is it, it, I mean it's simply awesome when you see fields of metal debris from siding and roofs, and and those pieces of metal wrapped around uh, trees that are still standing. Every single uh, power line and telephone pole uh, snapped off a few feet uh, from the ground. Um, tremendous amounts of debris out in the marsh. My. My survey transects uh, in southwest Louisiana extend from the coastline inland to about uh, I-10. And so um, most of the communities that I fly over are the smaller communities. Uh, we, we touch just to the southern and western edge of, of Lake Charles. But there's no place in that extent um, from just east of the Texas border all the way to about the middle part of the state, there is some evident damage everywhere you go. And in a lot of places, places that are are special to me personally because I hunt fairly close to there, the towns of Cameron, Creole, Grand Chenier, it's pretty devastating to see just concrete pads where camps used to be. Uh, The hospital in Cameron where I had to have my arms sewed up just a few months ago after an accident in the marsh. Um, they're open, they're operational, but, um, but the damage all around them is, is pretty extensive.
1: Larry, let me ask you a, a question here. Um, we're, I, I obviously live, my wife and I now live in, in Memphis, uh, but nevertheless, our, our eyes were fixed on, on the weather channel. The, the news leading up to the landfall of Hurricane Laura, because we still have so many friends in that region that were were under the gun. And we were really concerned about about what was going to be happening. We came through Rita. We came through Ike. We know the potential damage that surge could, the storm surge that was talked about leading up to this could cause. And that was the big headline. That was the big headline coming into this and as landfall occurred and the storm passed you know you and i actually talked about this a bit offline the the headline once once laura passed was that it the surge wasn't as bad but but you made the you made the point that while that's true the forecast were apocalyptic and, and so when when the, the damage is the surge wasn't as bad as forecast, it made people kind of think that oh it wasn't it wasn't that bad. But that's not exactly true because it was still you know a, a catastrophic surge. The other thing that has kind of struck me with respect to this Larry, just looking at pictures is the damage from the wind. when I think back to Rita and Ike and the wind fields and wind strengths that were associated with them, I don't think they were anywhere near what, what Hurricane Laura brought, and I think people don't at least based on the pictures that I'm seeing, and I want you to comment on this, I don't think people really appreciate that, or outside of Louisiana, how severe, although the surge might not have reached 20 feet as those dire predictions were, the surge was still bad, but the wind damage from what I've seen was just extraordinary. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Oh, that's absolutely the
2: case. Um, One of the one of the slightly demoralizing aspects of of the response early on was that it wasn't as bad as predicted. Um, And that has taken away a little bit of the national emphasis on how bad it really was, because, as you described, those apocalyptic predictions were not borne out. But the damage is still incredible. And it was indeed the wind. And the other thing we can't forget is that that damage from the wind didn't stop in those coastal parishes of, of Cameron and Calcasieu. They've moved up uh, the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries offices um, in, in Beauregard Parish, in Rapides Parish, up far north in the state, are still closed because of all the wind damage, the down trees, the power outages. The, the wind was incredible, 150 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour higher than Hurricane Rita uh, when, when Laura came ashore. And, and that is the really awesome spectacle that I've seen in my time down there and, and during this aerial survey, is the power of that wind, the things that, that, that got moved uh, without a storm surge. Uh, It's pretty incredible. You can, you can tell by the lack of specificity in the comments that I'm making that I was largely overwhelmed by the scope and the severity of the damage in, in particular locations. At the same time, I was breathing a sigh of relief that the storm surge was far less than predicted. And, and one of the sources of inspiration I've taken over the last Uh, two weeks, is that the vital infrastructure of our roads and bridges held up so much better uh, to to Hurricane Laura uh, than they did to Hurricane Rita uh, in southwest Louisiana, such that it's made the response uh, far more effective. The the thousands of, of linemen and people that have come from all over the place to literally take a a three or four county area with no power whatsoever and get us back up into some form of livability um, has been incredible. And one of the reasons that that has been so successful is is because the roads held up so much better, probably because of better engineering and technology when we had to rebuild from Rita. So if I if I had to find one positive thing in, in everything that I saw, that was it. Yeah.
1: Well, that is, we'll take any silver lining that, that we can get at this point. But I wanted us to start this conversation by acknowledging the, the, acknowledging the reality that, as you described, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, perhaps, I don't know what the actual number continues to be, that remain without power and that looking forward probably don't see power being restored to, to their, their place, even if they're fortunate enough to still have an inhabitable um, you know, house, they don't know when that power is going to be restored. And so we, want to, we wanted to certainly mention that. Um, certainly within Ducks Unlimited, there are so many people, whether it be in our conservation staff, our fundraising staff, or just anyone, our, our volunteers, our members. Uh, South Louisiana is such an important place for waterfowl. It's an important place for waterfowl hunters. It's an important place for Ducks Unlimited members and the passion they bring to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Everyone within our organization um, extends to the people of southwestern Lu- Louisiana our thoughts, our prayers. We are certainly. I uh, mean, there's been a lot of our, a lot of efforts to help make donations to some of the recovery efforts that are, that are going on. And you know, we thank our members and our volunteers for being active in that regard. And, and also just an opportunity here to remind everyone else outside of Louisiana that, Hey, that w- this was a really significant event. Uh, the damage was extensive and, and it's on, it's ongoing and the recovery is going to take a while. Um, so, our thoughts, our prayers, our well wishes go out to all the people of southwestern Louisiana and even into central Louisiana, as you described, the damage extended well up into that, in that portion of the state as well. So thank you for that, for taking some time, Larry, to describe a bit of the damage that uh, that did occur and that continues to be seen on the ground there. And And I think that part of the conversation is going to ex- extend into uh, this this next segment where we actually talk about the survey results because the the hurricane did have very significant impacts to waterfowl habitats as well. Some good as you will as you will kind of talk about there are some silver linings here as well on, on the wetland front. Um, but but so this is a theme that is going to carry into the into this next part. But so here I, I will transition to the. September teal survey that you conducted I believe it was September 8th and 9th. Uh and and I think the numbers were fairly encouraging so I'm going to turn it over to you right now and let you describe what you found I don't, there's no need to describe the methods that we use we've covered this on previous episodes people can go back and listen to those but this is a survey based estimate of the number of teal that may be occurring in Louisiana during the dates of the survey so tell our listeners what you found during that survey Larry
2: well the the results at were actually kind of heartening. We have been receiving reports from the field since about mid-August of uh, surprising number of teal uh, in the marsh, in the rice fields of central Louisiana at Catahoula Lake, and so I didn't know that this flight was going to be approved. You know, as you know, we're we're still battling restrictions based on COVID nineteen, and. Uh, the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries has done virtually no aerial work since late March. Um, our April model duck survey was canceled. And so when I submitted this flight request, I was, I was really happy to see that my agency appro- approved the request. And that was not changed um, when, uh, when hu- Hurricane Laura came ashore. And so we, we did the survey on schedule um, as we would intend to do. And uh, the the estimate of two hundred and thirty six thousand blue winged teal from this survey is is nearly twice of what we saw at the same time last year, and and four times the number that we saw two years ago. So just on the basis of total blue winged teal count, that is that's nothing but good news. It's higher than the, the five year average. It's e- it's even a little higher than the long-term average of, of 227,000 blue wings on this survey. And and what was good about, about these estimates is that um, both in southwest Louisiana and in southeast Louisiana, um, the numbers were significantly higher uh, than in the recent past. So um, it appears that there are more blue wings in the state now than there uh, than there have been in recent years. And that's nothing but good news uh, for teal hunters in the state, which will um, hit the field on set.
0: You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.
2: September the 12th.
1: Yeah, Larry, I, I want to uh, talk about the distribution of the teal, both in southwest Louisiana, southeast Louisiana, as well as the habitats where you found them. I think it's been a pattern here recently. You know historically more than I do, but more teal have been counted surveyed in southwestern louisiana than southeastern louisiana was the pattern that you saw the relative distribution uh, of that of teal similar this year to what you to what we normally see or was there more of a skew between southwest and southeast louisiana the pattern
2: was pretty much as we've come to expect one of the reasons southwest louisiana is such a vital habitat for uh migrating and wintering waterfowl, is the juxtaposition of the marsh to the agricultural regions. You have this complex of wetlands in that three or four parish area where the, the rice agriculture is adjacent to the coastal marsh. And um, every year when the, when the teal, when the blue wings start to show up in Louisiana, um, they typically show up in that region of the state, um, utilizing the, the rice agriculture. Uh, typically this time of year, we've got uh, decent water on the landscape uh, because of the second crop rice agriculture. And that's typically where we see the large number of, of teal start to build up um, early in September. And so the, the distribution Southwest to Southeast um, across the coast, was similar to what we expected. What we didn't expect was, well, I'm not going to say we didn't expect it because we all know what those storm impacts were in the coastal marsh of Southwest Louisiana, um, but but we saw virtually no teal in the marsh from the from the from the Texas from the Texas border all the way to the Atchafalaya Basin, we saw virtually no blue wings, very few mottled ducks, very few black-bellied whistling ducks. We saw very few ducks at all on the, the coastal marsh portions of those transects. But once we transitioned into the agricultural region, um, we we started to see a lot more birds. A, a lot more birds to the point that the That the average, that the number of blue wings that we counted in southwest Louisiana was 45% higher than the most recent 10-year average in that area. So not only were there more birds in the AG compared to the marsh, which is typical, but this year it was even more extreme. And the thing that really that that really drove that point home to us flying the survey was model ducks i mean model ducks are during the september survey you fly a lot of miles a lot of hours without seeing very many birds i mean you know typically our our surveys are anywhere from 1.5 to 3 million birds and and this survey's total duck is is 268,000 and it was an above average year so this sep- this september survey is long Hot, arduous, without seeing a tremendous number of birds. But model ducks always keep you in the game because as you're flying these coastal transects, you're constantly seeing a pair here, a small group there. That was not the case this year. We didn't see very many model ducks at all until we got into the ag, and then when we saw them, we saw them in very large groups. And so That just reinforced the distribution
1: that we were seeing uh, from the other ducks as well. And to kind of put a finer point on the reason for that that distribution, no birds in the marsh, virtually all the birds that you that you counted being in that agricultural landscape in southwestern part of the state. It's because of that stir, this that storm surge. But what that storm surge brings with it is some very high salinity water. Typically, those those coastal wetlands. I mean, obviously, as you get closer to the coast, you expect those to be uh, the the salinity to increase, become a bit more brackish. There's some infrastructure things that control the salinity within within some of those units. We know that, but but yes, uh, typically those wetlands, the salinity in those coastal marshes is going to be fresh, intermediate into the brackish range but that surge basically dumps ocean water gulf water sea strength salt water into those wetlands and it Create situations that are not conducive to the production and growth of waterfowl foods. Most waterfowl dabbling ducks that we see in coastal Louisiana do not like salt water, and so you know you started out by saying what we didn't expect. Historically, that's not what we expect is what you're describing. But once you know how those storm surges operate in terms of dumping all that salt water in there, you, it's it is it probably didn't surprise you to not see any ducks in in the marsh now. Now, a couple of other things, Larry, and I know you referenced this in your report. Whenever we get a surge of salt water, um, whether from a tropical storm or through some controlled introduction of salt water uh, through, let's say, the Gulf Intracoastal Waterway into a management unit, that can bring with it some, some benefits in terms of controlling, setting back what has become a really significant problem in coastal wetlands, Louisiana, that being uh, invasive aquatic vegetation. Talk about what you saw with regard to saltwater impacts on that. It's
2: not just saltwater as well, Mike, because what you say is
1: absolutely correct.
2: Um, Blue-winged teal uh, are birds that like shallower, flooded wetlands. And so along with that saltwater comes high water, and lots of debris there are many drainages that are currently blocked right now with you know what we call rack lines just eight to ten foot high stacks of of debris um of of rozo cane that's been blown everywhere Um, at the rack line very near uh, where i hunt near the town of creole um, i was i was up in that in that rack last Saturday. And there are huge balls of water hyacinth and giant salvinia wrapped up into those acres and acres um, of debris. But, but they have also blocked three very important drainages to that large area. That's actually a project area from a NACA grant um, that, the, uh, that the Gulf Coast Joint Venture helped fund and Ducks Unlimited helped construct. A number of years ago, and those drainages are blocked, which elevates the water level. Uh, where I was in the marsh, it's typically below knee deep, and and it was it was up to the middle of my chest. So we not only have salinity, we not only have salinity, but we have high water, and we have blocked drainages. That's going to keep that higher salinity higher water levels in place for an extended period of time. So not only does it inhibit, now we're talking short term, short term, it really compromises the habitat quality for waterfowl, especially species that favor shallow uh, habitats like blue winged teal. On the short term, this, this storm surge and everything that comes with it has greatly compromised the short-term habitat quality out there. And that is the fundamental reason that so few teal mottled ducks, black bellied whistling ducks, were seen on the coastal marsh portions of these transects. And instead, we encountered them uh, in the agricultural region. But now we now we've we've laid out the doom and gloom, but it's short-term. Long term a number of places in the state, and, and you're right, I referenced them in the report. Um, if you look back at say last September's report, you'll, you'll see that I wrote about important wintering habitats in Southwest Louisiana that were literally covered with water hyacinth or giant salvinia. I, I talked about that, those invasive aquatics reducing the habitat quality. You cannot find those invasive aquatics today. They have either been blown away or they have been balled up in the debris rack lines or they have been killed by the the salinity uh, in the storm surge. There has been a big positive effect on invasive aquatics. And it also tends to do some scouring and open up ponds, uh, increasing the, the, the sort of marsh to open water ratio in areas where the marsh was closing in. That salt water and the the scouring activity of that storm surge will have a, a beneficial uh impact on the interspersion of habitats in the marsh. And we can expect. And I say we can expect that because we saw this after Hurricane Rita in 2005. We saw it after Hurricane Ike in 2008. And so I'm hopeful that we will see some beneficial habitat-based impacts of this storm event for all of the bad things it's doing to everything else. We should see some positive benefits in in the coming years.
1: Larry, I remember that, seeing that after Rita, and I actually have some pictures where uh, going down one of the highways, there's a highway 82, uh, or is it, is it highway two eighty two there that leads to Rockefeller? That's right. Uh, I stopped uh, along that road and took a picture out and across one of the marshes where A few months prior or maybe a month prior, I had gone down there and it was, it was thick with, with Rosocaine and other robust vegetation. And then I guess it would have been the growing season after Rita, um, and it, it looked like an intensively managed moist soil unit. The millets, the foxtails, the smart weeds that were growing out in that in what had become that you know fresh marsh, shallow fresh marsh at that point, it, it looked fantastic. And of course, you give it an additional five or six years, and it returned to that more robust. Less productive from a waterfowl food standpoint, uh, condition, and so yes, I've I've seen that, and most other people that live in South Louisiana have probably seen that as a result of some of those storms, and of course, those invasive aquatics have very low tolerance for. For for saline water. And so that salt water does burn them and and, kind of kill them. And and that's good to hear because, yeah, I've seen some of that stuff firsthand myself. Um, Larry, the other thing, of course, that that the, the conditions as they currently are, high water blocked drainages. Uh, that that it's going to do is it's going to make it much more difficult for a lot of hunters to even if they wanted to if they wanted to give it a shot it's going to make it much more difficult uh, for them to access some of their hunting locations so it's like rubbing salt in an already gaping wound that even if they had time to get out there there may not be there may not be any point in it given the water levels that you've described But even if they happen to be in an area where the water levels were low, the the access to some of those areas is going to be greatly reduced, at least right now. Do you expect much waterfowl hunting in southwestern Louisiana here in the early teal season in the marshes? I believe that it'll be much reduced. We already
2: know that a couple of large, traditional, legendary hunting clubs in southwest Louisiana will not open for the hunting season. A lot of those lodges have been damaged. You know, a lot of the hunting in Southwest Louisiana um, has a long traditional heritage with camps, lodges, guide services associated with them. And uh, uh, in fact, Oak Grove Hunting Club will not open for hunting this year, primarily because all of their guides and most of their staff um, are, are either homeless or their homes have been have, have really been compromised by storm impacts. Impact from the, from the rack lines, from the, th- those block drainages, there's definitely uh, going to be some difficulty in, in accessing certain parts of the marsh but these guys are resilient, Mike. I've lived a lot of places and, and traveled a lot in my work. There is not a more resilient group of people than these folks in southwest Louisiana. And, and a lot of the marsh is, it's deep. It's, it's not going to be really good habitat for the birds. But they also know there's, there's at least a couple hundred thousand blue wings. We all know there's a lot more than that. Just, just north of them in the ag. The yeah. guys are going to be after with a vengeance when the season opens, and so so there's there are going to be people in the marsh. Um, we know the effort's going to be greatly reduced, but I don't think you'll have too much trouble finding a duck hunter uh, when the
1: teal season opens. That, that's good. I'm sure you will hear many times down there here over the next couple of weeks. You can't kill them on the couch. You've Got to be out in the marsh. <laughs> Uh, so, Larry, uh, talking about the opportunities for, uh, for uh, hunting and the number of teal that you observed in the agricultural landscape there and, and kind of working our way on up to Kalahuta Lake, during your, your surveys, maybe on the transects or even off transects sometime, did you see any... Uh, did you see much additional shallow habitat in, let's say, pastures or other non-rice fields that might be, might have occurred, uh, been left as a result of the rains from Hurricane Laura? Is there some of that out there on the landscape for people to take advantage of?
2: You know, Mike, this is where I'm going to sound a lot like the national media. Not as much as I expected to see. I expected mm-hmm. to see water everywhere, lots of sheet flooding everywhere I went. Only in a only in a couple of locations, um, there is definitely above average shallow flooding in the agricultural landscape compared to normal, but it's it's not what I expected. Um, most of the water out there is managed water. Um, it's in rice agriculture. It wasn't as widespread as I expected. Now that's a highly biased statement because uh, we don't we don't collect data on on wetland availability as we're flying these transects like they do on the BPOP survey up North or on the North Dakota, uh, breeding population ground survey. Um, so, so what you're, what you're getting is, is my perspective, which is why that ends up in the comments section rather than a data table. I and the rest of the crew were impressed with the fact that the flooding was not, um, was not that extensive in the agricultural regions, and that's kind of consistent with with what this storm did. That it it wasn't the rainfall. The storm surge was less than uh, than expected. It was it was the wind that that really did the damage. And so um, we're in good shape. Don't get me wrong. Uh, that, that habitat, as I said, is in above average condition, but it wasn't ex- as extensive as we expected.
1: Interesting. Well, Larry, that's probably going to uh, wrap it up for us here. I appreciate you taking the time to share these insights with us. Anything else that you wanna uh, that you wanna leave our listeners with? You know, the one thing uh, before I, I turn it over to you for that. The one thing that I would I have to say I would be I would be remiss and I would regret it if I if I overlooked this and I don't don't mean to in any way. Uh, we, we talk about the impacts from the hurricane to the residents and property and uh, and livelihoods of people in southwestern Louisiana. We can't forget about our, our comrades, our partners, our friends and family in southeastern Texas as well. They ended up on the western side of the storm uh, that granted, if you're if you're going to be in a uh, in in the in the zone of landfall for a a tropical storm you want to be on the west side of that eye and that's kind of where they ended up being so the damages they incurred were not as severe as they could have been but nevertheless they didn't come out of this unscathed either and so we want to make sure we acknowledge the 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 impacts effects that they were facing as well so um yeah. So, yes, I uh, acknowledge the people out in, in southeastern Texas as well. We don't want to forget about them. But anything that you want to leave our listeners with, Larry, with respect to what you saw or what we might expect going forward?
2: I'd like to talk a little bit about Catahoula Lake. Um, Catahoula Lake is one of the most important early season wetland habitats, uh, both for uh, for migrating shorebirds, uh, which which come through in big numbers around mid-August, but also for for early season waterfowl like like teal and pintails, and and this year we counted eighteen thousand uh, blue wings on Catahoula Lake. Um, more evidence that that the rainfall wasn't as big an issue as we feared it would be. Um, the lake is is still within management targets. We try to keep it between. Between 26.5 and and 27.5 during this drawdown phase, when we flew the survey, it was at 27.2. There was some shallow flooding over a large portion of the lake. It was it was excellent habitat for blue wings. Those 18,000 blue wings were the highest that we've counted. Oh, since 2012, um, it was much higher than the, than the last few years. And so everything really looks good at Catahoula Lake. The vegetation looked pretty good as long as we can maintain the water within those management targets. And so, uh, again, it, another, another piece of, of evidence that we've got more blue wings in the state this year than we've, than we've had in recent years and, and Catahoula Lake, of course, is going to be more accessible, uh, to hunters than, than those in Southwest Louisiana and, and Southeast Louisiana. Um, although the storm impacts were, were mild, in fact, almost non-existent, um, in most of the places we flew, um, the habitat conditions there are, are about average over most of it, but, but down at the mouth of the river, um, there was definitely an increase in Delta duck potato production. There was extensive SAVs. And this year, there were, there were broad flats of, uh, um, of Southern wild rice. Um, I've, I've been informed by our staff down there that when, when conditions are, are such that we get these nice flats of, of Zazaneopsis aquatica, um, that's the place that you want to be for teal. And, and of course, that's where we counted the majority of the teal um, on this particular survey. So um, I know our focus is a, is appropriately fixed on Southwest Louisiana, but but we we saw pretty good things in in Southeast Louisiana and at Catahoula Lake as well.
1: That's good to hear, uh, hunters and. Outdoor lovers in Louisiana will take every bit of good news that they can get right now. This has been a very difficult year in so many respects. Um, you know, the latest blow being one of the most significant. But yes, thank you for bringing bringing a bit of good news with respect to the number of teal. That is certainly an uplifting piece of information uh, compared to the, the past couple of years and uh so good luck to all the, the hunters that are out there in the early teal season finding some of these birds and uh and taking advantage of what is a wonderful resource and a wonderful place to pursue these birds and so larry i don't know if you're going to be able to get out at all uh, knowing the impacts on your lease but if you are able to best of luck to you uh and uh, and again, on behalf of everyone at Ducks Unlimited, we extend our thoughts, prayers, and well wishes to to everyone affected by the storms in throughout Louisiana, southeastern Texas, uh, and as you said, Larry, they are an incredibly resilient bunch. That we know that that they will will rebuild, they will recover, uh, and we'll get back to normal. And uh, as soon as we can, it's a long road ahead, but but we'll get there. Any final comments, Larry?
2: I I hope this good news manifests itself into good hunting success for those that are, that are able, uh, to get out and, and get after them. Um, uh, otherwise I, I echo your sentiments, Mike. Thank you very much.
1: A very special thanks to our guest on today's show and, and frequent guest of the show. Good friend of mine, Larry Reynolds with Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. We greatly appreciate him taking the time, time to share with us insights from from South Louisiana, what he saw in terms of teal numbers, as well as the, uh, the, the damage that was wrought by Hurricane Laura as it, came, uh, as it made landfall a couple of weeks ago. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great work that he does. And of course, you, the listeners, you're the most important part of this effort. We thank you for spending your time with us, supporting the podcast, and we thank you for your commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.